Well, um, we've been doing this series on radical togetherness, and um, it's been so good to actually unpack uh, trust or mistrust, and Tammy spoke about the walls that we build up that affect our relationships, that could actually be good relationships, but we have these walls that, that hold us back. And um, something that I've realized is that there is nowhere on this planet that you can hide from hurt. There's nowhere on this planet that you can hide from hurt. John Ortberg, who does an amazing devotional on forgiveness, um, I, was, I was reading through it, and he shared the story about how um, while, he's, while, while he's been preparing um, this, um, you know, sort of topic on forgiveness, obviously um, he will notice certain things, and, and he was out one day, and he saw two monks um, from a messianic, uh, messianic order, and um, he approached them and he told them what he was busy working on and, and, and got ch- uh, chatting to them, and he actually asked them, um, you know, do they, thinking obviously to himself that the answer would be no, but do they ever have to deal with forgiveness? You know, um, surely living, you know, in this wonderful monastery and everyone has their days of silence, so they all just get along and it's all just wonderful and, and beautiful. And he said, like, do you ever have to deal with forgiveness? And um, they, their answer was, every day. And the point of that is to say, you cannot hide from pain. This world we're living in, we live in a fallen world, we live in a broken world, and no one is immune. Just think about the first families in the Old Testament. They were so dysfunctional. One brother kills another brother. Brothers hate each other. Wives, you know, get up to stuff. It's just, it, it, you know, there, there's been dysfunction from the very beginning. And so I want to talk today to you about this issue of forgiveness. Forgiveness. So a lot of us are not living fulfilled in our relationships. So as I mentioned, um, we, we, how can we live fulfilled lives if we have mistrust that we've brought in from our past, from our childhood, if we have walls that we've built up from the past, how can we have fulfilled relationships? It's kind of like, um, for those of you that know, maybe you don't know, but that our baptism font is extremely heavy, okay? There's actually wheels that can go under it. It takes four very strong people, take note, I didn't say men, it takes four very strong people to, to carry it. It is very heavy. And so when you are walking around with walls, with mistrust, not living fulfilled relationships. It's like you have attached that font to your back and you're trying to get on with life. It's, it's, it's like you are carrying um, all the pain of yesterday. You're carrying it around with you today. That is what happens when we um, are, are keeping and, and, and not dealing with mistrust and walls and all kinds of things that block our relationships. Unforgiveness is one area that must be addressed if you're going to have healthy lives and if you're going to have healthy relationships. And so that's why I'd ask you now already to um, mark off Tuesdays next year for our course on healthy relationships because unforgiveness is an area that must be addressed if we are going to have um, healthy relationships. Um, Now, when you look at the Bible, if there is anybody 
in the Bible who had a right to be angry, to be bitter, to be full of rage, hatred, um, who just could live with unforgiveness, then that person would be Joseph. He had the right to hold a grudge. He had the right to say, life is unfair. Now, we're fortunate that we get to um, read from Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis 50. Now, first of all, the fact that God spent so many chapters in the Bible on Joseph's life, I think he wants us to take note. The fact that there are, there's so much content on Joseph, I think God is asking us to look into his life, to take note, to be aware of, of what he had to go through. And it's all very well for us to read from chapter 37 to chapter 50 because we get to read the hard parts. We get to read about how his brothers were jealous of him and he was his father's favorite son. And then the brothers had an opportunity one day to get rid of him and so they threw him into a pit. But then they saw some slave traders and they decided to rather sell him to the slave traders. You know, then um, he gets to, to Egypt and he is sold to, um, to, to someone who, who really liked him and, and actually gave him quite a good position as a slave in his home. Then this master's wife decides that he's too hot to handle, so he, um, she tries to seduce him. He runs away. She blames him of trying to, to um, rape her. He gets thrown into prison. So just look at his life. He's falsely accused. He's been thrown in a pit. He's, he's been sold to, to, to slaves by his own brothers. I mean, what a life. Then he's in prison and he, um, two of, of Pharaoh's um, slaves, uh, they have dreams and he interprets them and he says, please remember me when you get out. They forget him. So he spends another good many years in prison before they remember him. Then Pharaoh has dreams. He gets called and only then is he now free and he gets given a powerful position over all of Egypt, actually the second in charge over the, the whole country. And so we get to read that boom, 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 chapter 37 to 50 sounds great, but he had to live it. He had to live day in and day out, year in and year out with that. If anyone can hold a grudge, it could have been Joseph, that is for sure. Anyway, so I've unpacked a bit of Joseph's life for you. And so what happens now is Pharaoh's dreams that he interpreted was that, 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 was that there were going to be seven good years and seven years of famine. And so he encouraged uh, Pharaoh to save up wheat and to save up food for in, in those seven years of plenty so that in the seven years of famine, they would have enough to um, all live and still you know, survive the, the, the seven years of famine. And as the, the, the seven years of famine start, um, Joseph fa Joseph's father Jacob um, sends his son to e sons to Egypt to buy food because they're now starving, there's famine, they need food. So off they go, and when they get to Egypt, um, they now have to approach um, Joseph, who they didn't know was Joseph, and um, he sees it's his brothers. You can only imagine what they must have done to him, like shock, you know, just here are these, these guys that caused me to have this life that I've had. And he takes them through a few tests and um, asks about, his, about their father, because obviously that's his father, he wants to know. And eventually, after some time, when he reveals himself to them, he gets them to move closer so that he can reconcile with his father. And after a few years, Jacob passes away. 
All of that was to take you to Genesis 50 from verse 15. It says, but now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, they, um, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. You can only imagine the brothers probably thought that Joseph was just pretending to forgive them so that he could have a good relationship with his father. Now that he's dead, now he's going to get us. And so Joseph had dealt with unforgiveness, but now he's reminded it's been brought up again. He's having to deal with forgiveness again. He's having to deal with the issue of forgiveness, and he breaks down and he weeps. And I think that's so encouraging because I don't know about you, but there are so many times when you can think you've dealt with forgiveness and then one day a memory pops up and you've got to deal with it all over again. And so before we get into the rest of the message, I just want to ask you, are you living this type of frustrated, unfulfilled life where you are harboring unforgiveness? Are you um, maybe experiencing like brokenness, mistrust, walls in your relationship, maybe in your marriage, with friends, at work, with your children? Um, this could be because you are being held hostage by a leash around your soul. So it's like a leash of unforgiveness, bitterness, mistrust, anger has gotten hold of your soul and keeps jerking you back to that place of unforgiveness, keeps holding you back, keeps wanting to remind you of, of what that felt like, of what the pain was like. You know, it could be anything that happened to you. It could be something small. It could be something big. And the way that you can ask yourself, am I still struggling with unforgiveness, is think about anything that triggers you easily, anything that just like like that, and you like triggered, something that causes you frustration, something that causes you anger, something that causes you mistrust. If you are triggered easily, that might be an area that you are still having to deal with unforgiveness. Now, there could be many of you sitting here, you feel like you've been on that journey, that you've dealt with unforgiveness, that you're in a good place. That's great. But maybe you are needing to deal with asking for forgiveness from somebody else. They might not forgive you, but have you dealt with um, having caused hurt or pain for other people? Whatever is holding you back is holding you hostage. Whatever is holding you back, you are a prisoner to that. And it's impossible to experience radical togetherness Radical togetherness is what God wants for us, okay? And it's impossible to experience that if, you're, if you are being held hostage by these things. And so today, my prayer for our church, for, for the church at large, is that we would be able to be set free and actually live in a freedom. Do you know what it must be like to, to, to carry something that heavy around with you and then one day it's gone? That feeling of just, wow, this is freedom. This is what it's like. To cause hurt is natural. 
To forgive is supernatural. Forgiveness is a miracle. And I don't think it's a forgive, I don't think it's a coincidence, and it's just the English, English language, but, but I like it, that the word forgiveness has the word give in it. Because when we give forgiveness, we have to give something. We actually have to give something, but that something that we're giving actually sets us free. So even though we are giving something, we're not giving ourselves away to be re-hurt or re-damaged. We're actually giving something away so that we are set free. Now, there are two types of forgiveness that I want to quickly run through. The first one is forgiveness that is one-sided, okay? It's when you forgive a person who hasn't asked for forgiveness, they haven't said sorry, they haven't requested it, they've done nothing to earn your forgiveness, but you give it anyway, one-sided forgiveness, okay? You are independently, on your own, choosing to give forgiveness. It's one-sided. Now, why, why would we give someone forgiveness who doesn't deserve it or, ha- or hasn't earned it, okay? Why would we do that? The reason that you give one-sided forgiveness is that it helps you to keep going. It helps you to break free from what's holding you hostage. If you don't give forgiveness to someone who has not asked for forgiveness, then you are going to continue to be held hostage by something that you are never going to be able to change because you didn't do it to yourself. They did it. So you can't change the past. So you're going to be held captive by something that you can't change. Or maybe the person has passed on. They can't say sorry. Maybe the person doesn't feel sorry. Maybe the person has has gone from your life and you will never have contact with them again. It's one-sided forgiveness. It's to set you free. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, he looked down at those who had put him on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They didn't ask for it. They were laughing at him. They were mocking him. And he asked God to forgive them. Because Jesus understood his purpose. Jesus understood God's purpose and what he had called him to. And if you can understand forgiveness, you will understand God's purpose for your life and what you have been called to. If you're holding on to vengeance... If you're holding on to, if I can just get revenge on what that person did to me, you're actually blocking God from taking care of it for you. Because vengeance is his. That's his job. Once you have forgiven that person, whatever happens between them and God is between them and God. But deal with yourself. The second type of forgiveness is a give and take type of forgiveness, okay? It's when the person who has offended you or hurt you actually is willing to confess and repent. They're willing to to come and ask for forgiveness because they want to restore what was broken, all right? That person can say, I'm sorry, but maybe they don't mean it, all right? Now, I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times when I've said sorry to Jason in an argument because I want to move on, but I didn't mean it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know? And he's agreeing wholeheartedly. Because I'm an avoider. And, and so I just think saying sorry will, will cover it. But we can all say I'm sorry because we think it's right. How many of you sitting here right now have kids? 
okay? And you're like, listen here, Sarah, say sorry to Mary. Sarah goes, I'm sorry. You know they don't mean it. You're forcing them, right? So we can do something because we think it's right. Oh, it'll keep the peace, you know? But when it's a give and take, you have to know that that person means it, all right? And so you can test them. You can have boundaries. You can have things that you expect from them. You can have things that you're asking them to, to do because you can't just, especially if it's a repeat offense and a repeat offender, they've got to be able to have a good track record. Jason spoke about a track record. You've got to be able to have a track record. If you're going to give yourself back to that person in a business relationship, a marriage relationship, a friendship, whatever it might be, there needs to be a track record. Joseph even did it with his brothers in Genesis 44 when he puts his cup into Benjamin's sack and he, and, and, he, and he tests them to see what they're going to do. What are they going to do when they find that cup? Will they bring it back and say sorry? Or will they just treat Benjamin the same way they, tra- they treated him and sell him off to slaves because he's a problem? You can test it. We want to see fruits of repentance. Matthew 3 verse 8 in the NIV says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I love the way the NLT says it. It says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. We can ask that of others. Prove by the way that you live that you are sorry for what you did. Just remember that sorry is a confession. Repentance means, though, to change direction. And not only change direction, but change your actions. You can't use the excuse, but that's just who I am. If, if who you are is hurting others, if who you are is who God's made you to be, and you know that's a godly side of you, then yes, sure, keep it. Good for you. But if it's hurting others and you need to change, remember that repent means you're going this way and you turn completely to go the other way. In other words, you act differently, you speak differently, you treat them differently, you honor God in your repentance. If a person repents, then obviously the goal, the goal can be as much as possible to restore the relationship. But forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Reconciliation has to be earned. So when I say to you that we need to forgive, I'm not saying to you that you have to reconcile. That's two different things. And so you don't have to take somebody back that hurt you. You don't have to restore a relationship, but you can forgive them because it sets you free. We can believe that when we forgive people who hurt us, we're releasing a prisoner. Yeah, but, but I'm justified in my anger. If I forgive them, then they're going to think, oh, it didn't matter what I did to them. I'm releasing the prisoner. But actually, when you forgive, the prisoner that you are releasing is you. You are the prisoner because you are the prisoner to everything that's holding you back from living a fulfilled life. So you actually release yourself. Bernhard Meltzer says, when you forgive, you, are in no, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. And so if you have past hurts that you are taking into a new work situation, a new friendship, a new relationship, a new marriage, if you take those hurts with you, then you are not changing the future. You're just taking you as you are and expecting things to be different. 
So deal with what you need to deal with on this side of things so that you can be free in your relationships, so that your future can be different. Jenison Franklin says that forgiveness can't be about keeping score. It's all about losing count. Isn't that a great statement? It's all about losing count. You can't walk around and say, um, yeah, but I forgave you, so now you've got to, you, 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 you have to act as, you know, once you're forgiven, right, you, you, you let it go. You move on from it. And the thing is, is that you can't just sit back and wait for forgiveness to wash over you, that feeling of forgiveness. You can't just sit back and say, okay, well, when the tide of forgiveness comes in, I will allow the wave to crash over me and to cause me to feel forgiveness towards that person. No, forgiveness takes work. Forgiveness, you have to do your part in forgiveness. You, there's something that you have to do. And so how do I forgive? Well, the Bible talks about walking in forgiveness, right? The Bible doesn't say that today I forgive you, tomorrow I have amnesia. Okay, I wish. I wish that was the case, especially for people who have been really damaged by others. I wish they could have amnesia, but that's not the case. You have to keep walking in forgiveness. You have to get up each day and say, God, today doesn't feel like I'm at my best. Today I feel weak. I feel like maybe I'm going to be like reminded of, of what was done to me. And then you need to choose. You need to keep your eyes on God. And as you're walking, now I'm not talking about actual walking. I'm talking about the, like living. As you're going through your day and you want to take the avenue of bitterness, no, God, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And as you're walking, you want to take the, the highway of revenge. No, God, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. If I forgave the situation once, I can do it again. I'm going to keep walking in forgiveness. I'm going to keep going until this is not an issue for me, to walk in forgiveness. But it begins with what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's where it starts. So it's not something you can just well up yourself and feel all flowery, and you've actually got to look at what Jesus has done. Ephesians 4 verse 31 to 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So do all that, forgive, just as Christ has forgiven you. So how do I forgive? The first thing you need to do is to remember, to remember what God did for you, to remember that the power of forgiveness through the help of Jesus, he won it and he offers it to us. So we've got to first accept his forgiveness and realize that what he did for us has actually set the example. Okay? He died for me so that I can be forgiven. I've got to remember that so I need to forgive so that I can move on. Part of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 actually says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. We can't do one without the other. You must remember that every single one of us have two sides to our story, right? We have the need to forgive and we have the need to be forgiven. 
any person who finds themselves um, needing to forgive will also know that they need to be forgiven. And forgiveness is a beautiful word when you need it. Hey? But it's an ugly word when you have to give it. Then you're like, oh no, I will hate that person forever. I will not forgive them for what they did. But when you've done something wrong, oh yes, please, please forgive me, you know? But we all need both. None of us are immune from needing both. We need to forgive and we need to be forgiven. Luke 6 says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. That sounds like a command to me. That does not sound like a recommendation for a movie. That's a command. We are being commanded to not judge, to not condemn, and to forgive as we have been forgiven. I'm going to ask Kiki. I'm going to pick on the ceremonies today. I had her sister in the first service. Okay, Kachira. Okay. All right, you're going to stand right here so everyone can see. You're going to hold open your hand. Okay, it's a demonstration. Right. So, she's living her life. She's faced with all kinds of things. Um, somebody at preschool was, was said nasty things to her, and she still thinks about it and holds on to it. Then she went to school, and um, the teacher shouted at her, and she hasn't been able to move on from that. Then um, she wasn't picked for the team. She was picked last, and she has rejection issues. Um, then she um, had a boyfriend, and he broke her heart. Let's just pretend, okay? And, and she's angry about that. Then um, there was a hurt in her family, and she's holding on to all of the issues that come, with, that, that come from her family. Then her brother, Taddy, um, said something ugly to her, and she uh, doesn't want to even look at him. She's so mad. You know, then um, Hadassah wore her favorite top and spilled ink on it, and she's walking around with all of this unforgiveness, and she's just, it piles on. And so what happens is try and, and, and make a fist, okay? Fist, hold that all in there, Right? She's holding on to that, walking around every single day with unforgiveness. And then God comes along and he says, Ketura, I have something for you. But you don't know what it is because I can't give it to you until you let go. And Kiki's like, no, this is my identity. This is who I am. I actually enjoy my unforgiveness. It, I feel powerful because this person, that, and that person, that, and why should I forgive them? Why should I let go? And she's holding on tight, and God says, but I can't give you, I can't help you to, to be set free, to live the life I've called you to when you're holding on to everything. And when you have that revelation, you can let it go and drop it. When you have that revelation, keep your hand open, revelation that God has more for you, then he says, I've got something to give you. I have more for you. And so what she was holding on to was cheap fizzes, was unforgiveness that actually means nothing, that doesn't have to make her who she is. Now, yes, it's a silly object lesson, but I hope that you're getting the point. God says, I've got more for you. I've got the talents and gifts that I've given you. Now you can use them because you're not bitter and angry inside. Now you can actually come and, and you can use the gifts and talents with your, with your abilities. You can actually love others at school. Yes, there will be those that don't like you, but that doesn't matter. You can be a great friend to those. You can let the walls down. You can take them in 
And if they hurt you, you forgive them and you move on. Because I have more for you. Thank you, Kiki. You can keep it. Okay. So that was just a silly little object lesson, but I want you to get the picture of when we hold tightly to stuff. Everybody just hold your fists and make a tight, tight fist. Is that comfortable? Tighter. Tighter. That's not comfortable. That's what we do with unforgiveness. That's what it does to our hearts. It constricts our hearts. But when we let go, we're like, yes, that hurt, but God is more for me. Yes, that hurt, but I'm going to flourish in this relationship. I'm going to move on from that friendship. Yes, it's sad to see that friendship go. Yes, that friendship means a lot to me, but God is something more for me. So I'm not going to hold on to the bitterness of what happened in that to break up that friendship. I'm going to let it go. When you understand vertical forgiveness, it's so much easier to understand horizontal forgiveness. The second thing that helps us to forgive is to actually acknowledge our hurts. We actually have to acknowledge our hurts. Think about a Coke bottle, right? If I had a Coke bottle here and I shook it for five minutes, a good five minutes without stopping, you can't see what's happening inside that Coke bottle while it's closed, but you know that once I open it, all that volatility comes out. Whoosh! It's just everywhere. And Coke is sticky. And you get that Coke all over your kitchen floor and your kitchen cupboards, and it's, it's not a great feeling. That's what happens to us when we don't deal with our emotions and we don't acknowledge them, when we keep them bottled inside. Let one thing happen, one small little trigger, and you explode. And you know that that one thing wasn't even that big a deal. But it's the one thing that you've been keeping in on top of the other thing, on top of the other thing, on top of the other thing, and then you explode. And God actually wants us to deal with our emotions. In Psalm 39, verse 2 to 3, it says, But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. David's encouraging us to speak to God, to go to God, and be truthful. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm angry. God, I want to punch that person in the face. Say it. Why don't you just say it to God? Say it to a counselor, a psychologist, a friend who can handle it. Don't involve people who can't handle it. Don't speak to peers, or at least peers who are still on a very early journey in Christianity. Speak to people who you know can handle it. We need to be honest with God about how we feel because there's nothing wrong about hurting, but don't stay there. And let me tell you that a lot of people believe the lie. It's fine, it's fine. Time heals all wounds. It's fine. Time is not like a person. How does time heal wounds? Only Jesus heals wounds. Only Jesus can heal you. And so you need to get with Jesus. Then you need to, the next thing in how to forgive, you need to pray and let it go. Okay? 
if you are going to keep repeating, rehearsing, indulging, retelling the story of what happened, over time, that's going to be, become your identity. It's going to become unforgiveness is going to build into more emotions that then become resentment, bitterness, hatred, hostility, stress, fear, and all these emotions, they eat us up inside. But they don't only stay inside, they start coming out in other ways. You need to give up your right to, be, to get even, all right? That's jo- God's job, if, he, if that's what he chooses. Because let me tell you, the energy and the effort that it takes to get revenge is exhausting. It is completely exhausting. And so you can pray death prayers. You can pray the first part of Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Yes, God, exactly. May a thousand fleas infest their underpants. <laughs> you know, like, like you can pray those things. But what does the rest of that scripture say? But as I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What? You want me to pray for people who've hurt me? Are you kidding? I don't want to pray. That person hurt me really badly. Why would I pray for them? I'm going to pray that they experience what I experienced. That's what I'm going to do. But God is telling us that that is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pray for your enemies. Then in um, Ephesians 4 verse 26, it says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Do you know what a foothold is? A foothold is something that you allow into your life that, that you give a, a comfortable space to in your life. So when you're giving the devil a foothold, you're giving him, you're kicking your kids out of their bedroom and you're asking the devil to move in. Come, make yourself at home. Come, have a foothold, get comfortable because I'm not gonna deal with my anger. I'm not gonna deal with this. I'm gonna let it ruminate. I'm gonna keep on bringing it up and reminding myself. When you don't deal with stuff, and you go to bed angry, do you wake up the next morning and feel better? Or do you feel like the problem is bigger? So you're feeding your flesh. If you allow the spirit to work in you and you pray for that person before you go to sleep, even if it's the most simple prayer, like God bless them, even if you start there, you can start small, but the spirit can work in you and you will feel differently every time you do it. Please don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Please don't allow him to move in and get comfortable and stay for the rest of your life. Don't allow it. Maybe you've grown, like I said earlier on, to to actually love your unforgiveness, to, to make it your identity, okay? All that that means is that it's like a pebble in your shoe. That thing that just, you, know, you just don't, I mean, anyone here ever run a race with something in their shoe? You, it's not, you can't. It's uncomfortable. I want to talk to you about prayer for a moment. Praying for those who have hurt you. Very, very important to do it. Many years ago, before, so it could even be 20 years ago, um, a couple in ministry, 
Now looking back, I realize it was a joke, but back then I took it so seriously. They, they, the one day they said to me, I used to have a dolphin tattoo on my foot. And they said to me, what type of pastor's wife has a tattoo? Guys, I allowed that to grow into a toxic, cancerous tumor in my life towards that couple. I was bitter. I was angry. Every time I would see them, I would only want to think that the, the worst of them. And, 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 and I, I, I used to hope that they didn't succeed in what they were doing. And if they did, I would get jealous and I would get bitter and I would get angry. So much so that when I was three months pregnant with Taylor, I opened myself up to allowing a plastic surgeon to surgically remove the tattoo. So I had to go on antibiotics. It was a huge thing that a huge thing to do at three months pregnant. But I was so wrapped up in bitterness and anger about what they had said that this had caused me to make decisions that were completely absurd. And I remember after Taylor was born, I was, um, I think I was reading a book from Joyce Meyer, and I remember reading about praying for those who have hurt you. And God just dropped something in my heart, and I was like, I don't want to walk around with this festering pain anymore. Why? This is, why? It's consuming my life. And I started praying for them, little bit by little bit. And do you know what happened? I can stand here today before God and tell you God set me free. Not only did he set me free from unforgiveness towards them and bitterness and anger and resentment, we have a wonderful, I have a wonderful relationship with them today. When I see them, I can have wonderful conversations. I could go on holiday with them. I could travel with them. I can do, because there's no unforgiveness, there's no bitterness, there's no anger. And I am telling you, it started when I started praying for them. That changed everything. It changed everything, and I know that it will do the same for you. If you are holding onto unforgiveness towards somebody, start praying for them. And then um, you need to deal with the root. I'm not going to unpack that too much, but the root of unforgiveness is often rejection. You need to deal with that. You need to go right back to the very beginning and say, why, why am I struggling with this? What is it that I need to do? Why is it that I think by drinking the poison of unforgiveness, I'm going to kill the other person, that they're going to die from the poison? You're hurting yourself. Go and deal with that, that um, root. Figure out what the root is um, between you and God. And the last point is that you need to repeat the process over and over again. You need to get up tomorrow, pray for them, walk in forgiveness, don't take detours, and keep going. You need to repeat, 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 because I can guarantee you that you cannot change people. There is nobody here that you can change, but God can change you. And before I close in prayer, I just want to share another personal story with you. A lot of you know that I never met my biological father. And um, my parents, I think, got divorced when I was about a year old, and he left. He, he was Scottish. Um, he eventually went back to Scotland. He never supported my mother. He never contacted me or her. He didn't give financially. He didn't send wish for birthdays. I didn't know what he looked like. 
I had no photos of him. Um, and so my mother tried very hard to not say things about him, but I built up so much hatred and resentment. Like I would actually say things to people like, let that man walk in here and I will spit in his face. I will punch him. I will tell him what a disgrace that he is to the human race. I will tell, how dare he have hurt my mother like that? How dare he not have um, like looked after me and looked, uh, looked after her? I walked around with that from a very little girl. And you know what? In the 70s and 80s, when you're a divorced kid in school, you're the only one. So I knew I was different. And I walked around with that. And what it did was it caused my root to make me sick. The root that I was, it came out in everything in my life. So much so that every relationship that I had, I assumed that every man was like him. And not like the him that I knew, because I didn't know him. The story that I built in my mind about who he was. And I believed that God was the same. I was like, well, God's a father. Fathers don't want a relationship with their daughters. They don't care. They, they, they just live far away and they don't want anything to do with you. So that's how I saw God. That's where I placed men. That's, I, was a, I had massive walls up in, relation, in any friendships. I changed primary schools five times. And so I never bothered to, to make intimate friendships with people because I was just going to move on anyway. And so because of that turmoil that I'd created in myself towards this biological father of mine, yo, I carried a lot of hurt and anger and bitterness. And then God started dealing with me. And I remember he dealt with me obviously over time, over time. And we were running a life group here one morning with, with, a, with ladies and Joanne said something and we were talking about it. And at that moment, I knew God just dropped it in my heart. Susan, you have totally forgiven him. And do you know what? I actually knew that if he walked in in that moment, I would have been able to hug him. I would have been able to ask how he is. Would I have wanted a relationship with him? No. But I would have had no unforgiveness, no bitterness, no revenge. And that set me free. And I even started looking at God in a whole new light. Up until that point, it had already changed, but that just took it all the way. And all of a sudden, I knew that if I had the opportunity to meet him, I would probably have discovered that he was as broken as the next person and made bad decisions, but that I could forgive him. And then Jason and I spoke about it, and he started investigating as a great detective got hold of people in Scotland to see if they could find him. And we did discover that he had actually passed away 12 years prior to us trying to find him, but I was okay. I knew that God had set me free and I no longer had unforgiveness. And I want that for you. I want you as a church, as people, as God's people, to walk in forgiveness and not allow unforgiveness to hold you back, to wear you down. The pain of tomorrow is yesterday's problem. But today God is leading you and guiding you into a beautiful relationship.